Welcome to the ENA Podcast. This is the ENA Podcast, and this is Dan Campana, the Senior Manager for PR and Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association. Uh, back for our latest episode, and uh, if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you know COVID has been a theme, uh, which is certainly worthy of the amount of attention we've given it on the podcast this year. Uh, so we're back again with another COVID-related episode, and today we've got two guests, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the use of tents um, as a, a dish to offer a little a bit of additional capacity and uh, some other measures that um, both of our guests have seen from different perspectives. So uh, I want to welcome in today uh, Dustin Bass, who is the Director of Emergency and Urgent Care Services at Carson Tahoe Health, and Mindy Aleda, who is a part of ENA's Quality and Safety Advisory Council. Uh, Mindy and Dustin, welcome to the ENA podcast. Thank you. Excited to Thank be you, here. Dan. So, Mindy, let's start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in emergency nursing and just a little bit about what these last several months have been like in this COVID pandemic? Yeah, so currently I am a staff nurse three. I'm bedside at Kaiser Roseville Emergency Department. It's a large 72 bed suburban ER in Northern California, We're about an hour and a half away from San Francisco. And currently right now, I've been working the tent since its conception since early March. Like March and April, we had low census. And up until right now, we're hitting a high surge at the moment. And as far as the tent challenges, the heat is the number one problem that's been ongoing at the moment. Dustin, uh, tell us a little bit about your role uh, as a leader and also how, you know, through those eyes, you know, COVID has been a part of your life over these last several months. Yeah, so um, being the Director of Emergency and Urgent Care Services, we have been uh, really looking at all the different areas in how we can control the influx of COVID patients. And so for us as well, it started about early March and then has continued on in a way where we've kind of got a better handle on it through the use of outside spaces and the tents. Uh, but then also looking at how we can divert patients away from the emergency department or the main hospital that might not necessarily need it over to the urgent cares or to the tent space and so on. So that's what we're looking at overall. So Justin, I'll start with you. Um, when did it become obvious that having some additional space, um, whether it was just to keep traditional ED patients separated from potential COVID patients. When did all that mindset come through about how do we maximize our opportunity to have enough space to, to do what we need to do, especially with so much uncertainty about what COVID patients could bring into your facility? I think that is exactly, you hit the nail on the head whenever you said uncertainty. And so as leaders in that moment, and throughout COVID, it's been a lot of that uncertainty. And so in order to try to mitigate that uncertainty as much as possible, we had to start to think outside the box and then literally think outside the hospital in a way where we could put up an additional space and use it in a variety of ways. So whenever we first started, we recognized that COVID could potentially be an airborne disease. We only had a very limited amount of isolation rooms within the ER. And then um, as we, you know, started to discover that one of the best things is to potentially keep those patients separate overall from the regular ER population and then from the hospital altogether. And so that was kind of our decision-making moment of let's go ahead and look at the options for an outside space for the tent 
to where we could completely keep them separate from the building altogether. And um, it, it, um, it seemed to work pretty well. So. Okay. So Mindy, how about from your side of things, when did the tent come into become reality and what was sort of the thought process from your perspective, you know, as, as it, the discussions and then the implementation, how, how did all that come together where you're at? Where I'm at, so I am part of the ER disaster committee as far as mission, we have noticed at out of our five sections, instead of mixing it in the general population, our numbers were trying to increase and we had to decide a designated pod area as far as to isolate these patients instead of them having to go through the ER. And so the tent was basically a pilot as far as we have a door that opens to the outside along the side of the main entrance of the ER. And we were able to reroute ambulance traffic to go all the way around to have a special, um, what we call a respiratory ambient nurse to screen the patients where they're not they could go to our respiratory pod because our numbers were increasing and we wanted to isolate them as much as possible. Even though we had a large ER, we only had four negative pressure rooms and we wanted to um, protect the staff and everybody else as well because our numbers could increase and we would also have patients in our sub waiting room. We also, in addition to a waiting room, we have four sub waiting rooms. So our numbers actually started to really increase around when we were, um, I believe, stage three when things were opening. And then right now, um, we actually had to get um, these convex trailers because of the heat. So right now, we're having the high numbers that we um, normally see in the wintertime. Okay. That's how it's pretty much evolved. So uh, sticking with you for a second, Mindy, so um, the, the concept of why you put the tent in place is, you know, every, every idea sounds really good at the start, but then you get into the practicality of using it um, and having to adapt as time moves on. Um, talk about what, what's different today from when the, first, the tents were first starting to be used versus today, because you probably learn a lot of things about operating differently in that space versus being within the, the brick and mortar of the, of the building itself, right? Definitely. So I think over time we're learning as far as what we can do outside of the tent. Like for example, we do not have ambu bags inside the tent like we did back in March and April because we don't want to aerosolize anything. We found out that having an ear physician at our peak times really helped expedite our ESI threes and fours that were walkie-talkie. And we realized that we're really our numbers aren't getting impacted because the drive-through had to be shut down in our parking garage due to the heat. So we're getting impacted as well as far as people that normally go to their appointments. And then I'm also noticing as far as our census, when there's no room in the ER, we're having to transfer people out. And I work for a large HMO that I'm, we have the luxury of being able to transfer them to a sister hospital. So I think right now, as far as the plan, as far as the overflow coming through the wintertime, we're just seeing that we need more staff as far as operating the tents as well. So Dustin, uh, from in your role as a director, uh, how has that evolution happened where you're at? Um, are you getting, you know, is there a good uh, like line of feedback and communication from the people who have been working in the tents to talk about what changes need to be made? Is it just been learn as you go and adapt as you go? I mean, what, what's, what's happened differently from day one versus where you're at today? Yeah, so we originally used the tent as almost a triage structure where as people come in, we were grasping them. So whenever we say grasp, we mean greet, reassure, assess, sort, and prioritize the patient. So we had a staff member actually doing that and either directing the patient inside to the main ER based on their um, condition and a very specific set of criteria or 
um, directing them to the tent in order to potentially take care of them as a respiratory patient, someone that could be easily seen and dispoed in the tent. And so what we found is that our criteria in the beginning, of course, was very restrictive. And as we went through, that criteria has become much less restrictive based not only on the CDC guidelines, but the fact that as you speak to the nurses and the providers that are out there, in their minds, as they get more comfortable, they're able to see um, a much larger variety of patients. So we had an age range where we were only seeing between the ages of 18 and 60, and then you know that's grown to where it's greater than 12 and less than 75. Um, you know, based on we were taking initial sets of vital signs, and then we had very specific parameters around those vital signs, whether they had to come into the ER, or they could stay out at the tent. And again, we have relaxed those parameters a little bit. And a lot of that does come from feedback from the providers and nurses working there. And then also looking at um, from a statistical point of view and analyzing the amount of patients coming in with potential or high risk COVID-like symptoms and deciding if we are actually sending the right amount to the tent versus sending them inside. And so that happens at you know, the director incident command level, and then we're going back to the staff and getting their feedback and trying to make those decisions on a regular basis um, in order to ensure our operations can handle the volume. So, so Dustin, sticking with you for a second, talk about um, the importance of technology. How has technology helped being separated from the building, but not necessarily changing the level of care or the experience for those patients that have been a part of the tent in these different phases that you've seen? Yeah, so our um, IT team worked some magic and they were able to, uh, because a lot of our systems were already based on Wi-Fi, one of the biggest things that they were able to do for us is just extend the Wi-Fi out into that tent. So they ran a hard line uh, through a piping system, you know, and then covered it up to where you could drive over it and so on over to the tent. And then they were able to place a Wi-Fi box out there so that you could easily connect everything that we would do normally. So we were able to put cows out there, we're able to put a portable x-ray, we're able to put an EKG machine, all those things we were able to do because we uh, were able to utilize that Wi-Fi network and system that we kind of already have at the main hospital. And so that has been huge for us Otherwise, we would have had to go back to the dark ages and, um, you know, potentially been doing paper charting and so on. And so being able to have all of our normal, you know, technology out there has been really important. The other part is with that Wi-Fi, our voceras work out there. And so the vocera is the way that we communicate internally. And then also being able to use those out there allows that team to also be able to work or reach the people inside. Uh, very easily without a lot of problem if they need help or if they have a question or, you know, something like that. So I think with us, technology has been huge and we've seen our ability to use more and more things out there go as we've gotten used to, again, using that tent and growing the parameters. Mindy, technology, has it been more good than challenging, you know, in your experience so far when, when it comes to working with the tent? And so far it's evolved since March. I think what really improved because we don't have those Sarahs. We have just these SpectraLink phones. I think what really improved when I can't get a hold of anybody radio or the SpectraLink phone, they actually IT, in addition to doing Wi-Fi outside with all of our, our, our wows, um, we have a landline phone, which I'm able to add, call everybody in the hospital when my SpectraLinks fail or the batteries die. I think that was a huge improvement. 
So in addition to Justin, we do have a portable x-ray outside. We do have a capability to do x-ray and our clerk due to the heat, they had to get moved into the alcove in our ER waiting room. But I think we're also able to get um, our lab labels out here. We do draw blood and do some minimal IV fluids out in the tent, but I think improving as far as our communication, the landline phone basically honestly has really saved me when my radio's inspection link fail when I can't get a hold of anybody. So as far as that, that's greatly improved. So one of the things when the first discussions we had, you know, among us and then some ENA staff talking about tents, um, we're in the time of year where just across the country, you know, everybody could potentially turn to a tent to create some additional capacity and space. But, um, you know, the seasons will change and things like that. But when you look at best practices, um, you know, Dustin, I'll start with you. What are some key things that you think um, for a facility that either has not yet gone to creating this sort of an extra space or um, is, is looking to continue to improve their, their ability to, to offer care? Um, what are a couple of, of key things from your eyes and your experiences would you say um, are sort of at the top of the list for executing what happens in a tent to the best of, of your ability? Yeah, I think uh, one of the very first things is recognizing that this cannot be an ER project. It has to be a multidisciplinary project that comes throughout every discipline within the hospital. So if you think about building a tent in your parking lot, you're basically building a department. And to build an additional department, you need all those same resources you would need inside as far as ancillary service staff, uh, IT, we needed facilities, and even we were lucky enough at the time to have help from the construction crew that we had on site because of a current remodel that we were doing in order to put the tent together and build it. We needed our disaster management folks and then our quality department to look over um, you know, the waivers that CMS has put out and make sure that everything that we do is either covered under a waiver or it's covered in a way where we're not liable as an organization and we're not putting a patient or staff member in any type of harm's way. So I think that's really important is that the discussion has to happen, uh, you know, multidisciplinary at some of the highest levels first and then um, plans being executed uh, and then continual closed loop communication as far as, you know, keeping the tent going and changing those protocols. And so for us, uh, a lot of that came from incident command. So setting up our incident command and having that incident command meeting every morning and having very specific people doing the work and then leaders within that area come to the instant command meeting and report out as far as what's working, what's not working, what we needed to look at. And then again, having all those stakeholders and experts at the table to decide, you know, how are we going to change this and change that in order to ensure that, you know, we're doing what's best for the patient and doing what's best for the organization. So I think as far as best practices go, it's really important to involve everyone within the organization from a leadership standpoint, but then also ensure that you're involving the staff doing the work and that you're having that closed loop communication so that whenever changes do come, uh, they make sense to the people doing the work, but then also make sense to uh, the leaders leading the organization. So I think those in particular are super important. And then the other one I just want to point out really quickly is communication. And so Communication and transparency at all levels was super important in the beginning and remains important now just to make sure that everyone that's involved, even in the ER, in the tent, uh, from you know, the bedside all the way up to the executive level, really understands what's happening and you know, whenever there is a problem, it's being communicated and then addressed and then potentially um, the loop being closed all over. So I think that that's really important as well. 
Mindy, Dustin mentioned about the patient experience. What what are some of the you know tips or tricks or things that have been prominent in offering the best patient experience possible, knowing that those patients are not going into the same physical environment than, than they normally would. So what are some things that you've done or you've worked on with coworkers, you know, to make sure that those patients know that they're getting the same high level of care, even though they're not physically inside a building structure itself? And so I have the luxury, we have an ER greeter that screens the patients, whether or not they need to go to the tent or the main ER. There is a very high level of anxiety for some folks that are screened to the tent. You know, the typical, um, we screen for fever, shortness of breath, a cough, or previous exposure to a, a previous positive um, COVID family member. So I think the one thing is having to relay to each other per shift is that, you know, put them at ease. You're going to really the same level of care is just remind them we have to isolate you from the others to keep the others from getting sick. And because there is a very high anxiety, it doesn't matter what time of the day, they're very anxious when they get escorted to the tent. And I think knowing to put them at ease, knowing that they're still getting the best care, even though I'm in full PPE with my face shield, the gown, um, my N95, because it's very difficult to talk sometimes with the N95 on. And I think, um, just um, with our disaster committee, we do have weekly meetings as far as talking to each other and then relaying this information to management because it's a weekly process that can change daily. I know between March and April, our flow changed consistently. And I think right now we're at the point where now we're looking at um, surging and then adding more staff out there. So that's my point, uh, take away from the moment. And I was going to say that earlier, uh, before we came on, Mindy, you mentioned, you know, we're getting to, toward the time of year where we're, we've got to take flu and other seasonal considerations into effect. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll ask you that. I mean, how does that affect what the tent structure and usage looks like now when you know that you've got these other things potentially coming down the road that are going to impact your capacity? Um, right now, we have two overflow here, which you don't have a plan for. And we're actually looking ahead as far as when it starts raining, as far as the appropriate kind of coverage. I know um, our facilities construction actually have built a ramp to make it ADA accessible. So right now we're looking at weather conditions making because we're knowing we're seeing that you know this is the census is going to continue to ramp up. So we're looking at weather conditions, and I think we've got a good handle as far as our access to a respiratory pod. But I think right now we're looking at for the combination flu season and COVID season together. So we're looking at that right now. So we're just trying to prepare for it and also taking care of ourselves is most importantly too. Definitely. Uh, Dustin, just to, to kind of go back on that point about, you know, the what's upcoming, changes of the season, flu, you know, other things that tend to spike up toward the end of the year that will just add to whatever's going on COVID related. Anything that, that jumps out at you about how those, those times are being prepared for? Yeah, for us, so we are, um, we are exploring the idea of a dedicated respiratory clinic within the community so that we could hopefully, you know, from a marketing and advertising standpoint, funnel a lot of those uh, lower acuity type patients to that respiratory clinic in a way where they could, you know, be evaluated for the flu, be evaluated for COVID. We are looking at technology where it's the same swab. So you would be swabbed for flu and COVID at the same time. And then that could be run on the analyzer uh, in-house. And so as we look forward, we're looking at ways to also combat the weather here. So in Reno, there are times where it gets very cold, there's times where it snows. And so, you know, being outside in a tent might not be the most 
um, feasible option. And so looking at more permanent options, whether it's, uh, you know, temporary, temporarily taking over and building out a retail space with temporary walls and making that the respiratory clinic, utilizing a portion of our urgent care and um, putting up, you know, temporary containment walls and air scrubbers and making, you know, a sick versus not sick respiratory clinic side. Those are options that we are exploring, just understanding that that temporary structure outside from a tent point of view might not be um, the long-term solution. It, you know, is like that short-term solution or that bridge to get us where we need to go. So we talked a lot about tents and patient care and technology and all that, but Mindy brought up a great point about um, looking out for one another and self-care. So I don't want to overlook that, even though it's not tent related, but um, Mindy, you know, just talk a little bit about, you know, from your perspective and, and where you're at, um, how, how are you guys taking care of one another? How are you taking care of each other? Because this has been a very long process and uh, there's not quite a light at the end of the tunnel to know when things are going to start to subside to, you know, a considerable extent from where we've been. Uh, so talk about, you know, your perspective on self-care a little bit, you know, as it relates to everything that, that we've been talking about here, but also COVID in general. Um, I think as far as self-care, I've been recognizing because there have been days where I'm just so exhausted and tired of wearing an N95 and sweating like a pig. And I think what's really great is that my facility actually has an 800 number for all staff members to call in especially we have a great um, employee assistance program. And I think the other one thing is to um, recognize the other staff members that are just really anxious. We've recently had some two people come off medical leave. And I think supporting um, other staff and recognizing versus um, you know, being negative all the time because it's not going away. And I think it's really important to take time out away from work, knowing that you know, sometimes you just take a walk when it's cooler, support each other. And I think also um, gathering management and there's oftentimes on my committee groups at work, I've mentioned our ENA page on self-care, how it's continually updated. A lot of people really liked all the links on self-care about that. And I think as far as the resources of ENA, I've been able to refer people to that and they've really enjoyed that. And that's a great point. You know, we do uh, continue to, to put out a wide variety of different resources on the, the COVID-19 resource page. And uh, beyond that, also some other things that uh, on the ENA Together page where um, businesses and organizations have, and individuals have you know, shared their appreciation in a variety of different ways. So sometimes those little things help keep the batteries going. Uh, Justin, anything that you would wanna add in terms of you know, maintaining self-care and, and weathering this, this very, very long storm that, uh, that most ED nurses have been facing for uh, a considerable amount of time. Yeah, I think that Mindy covered it, you know, really well from the, the staff nurse perspective. I would like to just say, like, as a leader, it's been, it was really important for me to recognize that I'm not going to have all the answers or even all the information. And sometimes I'm going to have to make a decision based on only having 70% of the information and that that's okay. And that it's also okay to not have all the answers, but to really do the best you can and rely on your team and rely on your colleagues and rely on the experiences that you've had as a nurse and a leader to make those decisions and make the best ones you can. And then also realizing that sometimes you're gonna make those decisions and they're gonna fail and that's okay too. Uh, but you know, learning from that failure and taking it in a way where you can do things better the next time or change the protocols or you know, make it easier for your staff and your team. I think for me, that was one of the hardest parts is that as a leader, it's all about you know removing barriers for my team and making sure they have everything they need to do their job and ensuring that I'm making the right decisions. And 
in COVID, it seems that, you know, we don't have all the information a lot of times or that it changes very frequently. And so we just have to, you know, be able to take that in and understand that and do the best that we can each and every day. And so I think that that's really important is to just give yourself some grace. And um, there's lots of times to be serious, but there's also a time for levity. And so to, you know, utilize that levity with your staff and your colleagues in a way where um, it lets you blow off some steam. And then just making sure you take a day off, you know, working 21 days in a row, uh, even though some of us have had to do it this past, you know, throughout the different surges, you got to take some time off um, to just do something mindless and get your mind off of it so that, you know, you're strong enough to keep going. Well, it's a great point to, to uh, as a jumping off point here to really focus and take care of yourself. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who need help, but if the you know, who's going to care for the caregivers if they don't take care of themselves sometimes? And that, that kind of helps keep the momentum going um, at a time when it's been very difficult. So I appreciate both of you taking your time, uh, taking a little time for us today, uh, Justin Bass and, and Mindy Aleda, talking about uh, tents and how to, you know, how that's been used at their various facilities uh, for uh, throughout the COVID pandemic, but also um, on, the more, on the, the more individual level, the importance of self-care and looking out for yourself and looking out for your colleagues. So uh, Dustin and Mindy, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Thank, thank you, Dan. Dan. Yeah. So that'll do it for this episode of the ENA podcast. And as we mentioned during the episode, uh, the ENA COVID-19 resource page is still there filled with a variety of information uh, from the federal guidelines through uh, various clinical resources, uh, pieces of, of content, whether it be webinar, COVID bites, uh, there's a wide variety of things there, including the self-care. So if you hit the ENA homepage at the very top, there is a link that you can get directly into that COVID resource page. So I encourage you to continue to look for it um, as we've been updating content on that page for several months now as new things have come along. So uh, again, I offer my thanks to Dustin and Mindy for being a part of us, a part of the podcast today. And uh, this is Dan Campana, and we'll be back with you soon with another episode of the ENA Podcast.